0: Well good morning church. Good morning. Glad that you're here this morning. We're going to finish up today We spent the last like nine weeks in Romans 6 7 8 today We're going to finish up our series called the struggle Israel and I hope as we kind of wrap this series up and It's kind of always difficult for me to wrap up a series because I feel like I'm so deeply in it I'm like I don't ever want to forget this stuff Because hopefully what we remember as we've gone through this, this series is that first and foremost We all have struggles every single one of us and we're gonna talk more about those today We all have struggles But at the end of the day, the greatest struggle that you and I have is a struggle with sin. And so Paul knew that the church of Rome, a church that was going to be persecuted for their faith, he knew they were going to struggle with sin, they were going to struggle with things. And so he begins to remind them of some powerful truths that for those that are in Christ, those who are children of the Most High God, here's some things you need to know. So he begins with by reminding them that you are dead to sin And alive in Christ, right? That you know, sin no longer has authority, power, or or any of that over you anymore. It no longer controls you. You are dead to sin, but Jesus has made you alive. If that's your story this morning, would you just say amen? amen? So he says, Man, I want you to know that. Then he goes on to say that not only is that truth, but I want you to know that you are no longer under the law, you're no longer under a mindset that says, I've got to perform to be accepted. You were just under God's grace. Here's what grace means, that God loves you unconditionally just because. Nothing you've done, nothing you've said, you've not been good enough, you've not worked hard enough. He says, I just choose to love you. Well, what about my mistakes? I know that. I still love you. What about my faults? I know that. I still love you. What about all my warts and all my issues? I, I know. I created you. I know. I still love you. And Paul reminds his church in Rome that despite whatever you go through, you need to know that you are not under law, but you're under grace. But he also wants them to know, and in chapter 7, he becomes very transparent to remind them that as we live this life in Christ, Christ in us, that we are going to struggle being of the flesh. That we have Christ in us, but we're going to struggle with those old fleshly tendencies that want to creep their way back in our life. And we're going to have to live the rest of our lives realizing we will always be harassed by the flesh. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? Amen. That Christ is in me, and therefore, instead of giving into the flesh, I'm going to lean on the Holy Spirit who's with me. And then we also realize this, that those of us that are in Christ, we've been adopted. We've been adopted into the family of God. And we've spent a long time talking about adoption. But there's a beautiful imagery there that God chose us. With all our issues, with all our struggles, he says, I want you to be part of my family. If you're a child of God, if you are in Christ, you've been adopted into the family of God. Which means you also have the same right and and the citizenship that Jesus himself has. And then last week, Pastor Mercer did a great job reminding us this. That if you're in Christ, here's one thing we all need to know. That you're going to go through struggles. That you're going to go through suffering. Now, how many of you have been a Christian for over 20 years, and you're like, suffering's definitely going to come. Let me see your hands. Okay, so for all of you have been Christian under 20 years, and you're like, no, man, life's pretty good. Okay, it's coming. Suffering's going to come your way. But what I loved about last week, what I loved about the passage was, Paul was reminding the church in Rome, which you got to think about it, first century Christians, were they persecuted for their faith? Yes. I mean, the greatest persecution we get is people like giving us a glare when we walk in and we have a Jesus shirt on or we talk about, I mean, that's the worst persecution most of us face. Are people ignoring us? Maybe a little bit of ridicule. These people were put to death for their faith and he says, listen, I, I want you to remember something. That you are, if you're going to live for Christ, you are going to suffer for the name of Christ. But I want you to know something. In your suffering, as you suffer for Christ, God will take all that you've gone through and he will work it toward good. Not necessarily your good, but to his good and his glory. So all the suffering you're going through is not in vain. It's to point people to Christ. And so Paul spent three chapters building this church up, reminding them, you're dead to sin, you're alive in Christ, you're not under the law, you're under grace, that you belong to the family of God. And even when you go through suffering, if it's for God's name and for Christ's sake, that God's going to somehow take that and he's going to work it for his good and for his glory. And then he ends this section of scripture by talking about our security we have in Christ. There's no better way for Paul to end the section than our security in Christ. So If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 8. We're going to read verses 31 through 39. And since you just got seated, I'm going to ask you to stand again in honor of reading God's word. You need the aerobic exercise. Here we go. And if you didn't laugh at that, you probably really need it. All right, here we go. Romans chapter 8, <laughs> verse 31. Now remember, on two other occasions, Paul has started a section by asking a question, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? What shall we say then? Is, is, is the law sin? So here's a third question he asked wrapping up the section. He says, what then shall we say to these things? In other words, what is our conclusion to the fact that we are under grace, not law? What is our conclusion realizing we are dead to sin and we are alive in Christ? What is our conclusion that we've been adopted in the family of God? What are we going to conclude that if as a believer I suffer for the name of Christ, God's going to work it to the good. What is our conclusion? Here's what Paul says. If God is for us, what? Let's try this, a little more enthusiasm. If God is for us, what? Who can, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how we who not also with him graciously given us all things. Who shall bring any charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus, the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger of the sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We regard it as sheep to the slaughter. And to answer his own question, he says this, no. In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else, in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. And the church should shout amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this passage. What a passage of victory. What a passage where Paul puts an exclamation point on all that he said and reminds us through all that we go through the security that we have in Christ. So God, would you just be with us as we unpack this today? Would you open our eyes? As Rachel said, may we have ears to hear your word. And it's your precious son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as we look at this passage, three things I want to highlight. First of all. Paul establishes this, we are secure in Christ. We are. Let's go back to verse 31. Look what he says again in verse 31 and 32. He says it this way, what shall we say then to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him us up for us all, how then will we also not meet him graciously give us all things? In other words, we are secure in Christ. And he uses this phrase, if God is for us. Now, real quick, because you know I'm a word person, the word if is a big word. Now, typically in Scripture, if is a word of condition, right? If you do this, this will happen. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. If you hit your sister in the face... We're all going to laugh. No, no, no. If you, if you do this, this is what's going to happen, right? So if is a word of condition. In the Greek here, it is the word if, but it's not a conditional word. It's a condition that has been fulfilled kind of word. In other words, it should be translated since God is for us. Are you with me on that? It's not this notion of, well, if God's for us, here's some good thing. No, no, no. He's saying since God is for us. It's a condition that has been fulfilled. And he says since God is for us. That statement that Paul makes is a statement of confidence and certainty. God is for us. Look to your neighbor and say, God is for you. Look to the other neighbor and say, God is for you too. You're like, I don't know what's going on. Right now. I mean, Because there's a, there's a confidence in that going, hey, God is for me. Now you think about it. How do we know that? How do, how do we know that God is for us? Well, think about it. Paul says it here. Did he not send his only son to die on a cross for us? Sure he did. Is he not the one who set us free from the bondage of sin? Sure he did. Is he not the one that gives us eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ? Sure he is. Is he not the one that's adopted us and said, I want you to belong to my family and I'm going to give you all rights and privileges and inheritance as my son Jesus himself? Sure he is. Is he not the very one who put his Holy Spirit in us to guide us and direct us and to help us live this life? And is he not the very one who will take our suffering for his name's sake and will turn it for the good? Is he not the one that does all that yes then what is our conclusion god is what for us i mean when you think about all that god's done because listen we're going to get into a passage just a moment we're going to look at something where many of us don't feel that way many of us have gone through some stuff and some junk And I want you to know my prayer right out of the gate this morning, my prayer is this, is that as we go through this, if you've gone through that junk, that maybe you can rekindle that confidence, that certainty that Paul had when he said, God is for us. Now listen to me, God is for us, not based on anything you've done. God is for us because of his enormous grace and love for us. Listen to this, God is for us even though you and I have a bent toward legalism. Here's what I mean. God is for us, and you may not say you're legalistic or not, but every single one of us have a bent toward performance. Every single one of us battle at some level in our life that maybe if I go to church more, if I give more, if I read more, if I pray more, that somehow God's going to be better at accepting me, God's going to love me more. Listen, God loves you as much as he's ever going to love you, unconditionally. God's accepted you as much as he's ever going to accept you, unconditionally. Now, you are going to grow in your faith if you do those things? Absolutely. But you need to know that we all have a bent toward legalism. We all have a bent toward performing to be accepted, performing for greater love. And you know that, especially if you're a parent, and I don't want you to raise your hand because, you know, I don't want to indict anybody, but even parents sometimes, we wrestle with this. Like, we're like, hey, you tell our kids, if you do really, really good in school, like get all A's, I'm going to pay you money. Right? And I'm not saying that's bad, but what are we instilling in our kids when we do that? We're instilling them a performance base. Our job's the same thing. You work harder, do more, do better, climb the ladder. What are we instilling? Performance base. And we take that same idea, and we use it in our faith. And I want you to know, He is for us, even though we have a bent toward legalism. He is for us, even though we fail Him. We sang a while ago, He never fails, but do you fail? Come on, do you fail? Yeah. I fail. I do know about you. I fail all the time. Do you ever ignore God? Do you ever read God's word and go, I'm not doing that. I, look, look, this whole thing about, you know, uh, you know loving those who persecute me, I'm, I'm just not doing that. Turn the other cheek, yeah, as I rolled up the other hand to punch him, yeah, I'll turn that, uh, I'm not, uh, I mean, you ever read Scripture and go, I'm just not going to do that? Sure you do. But is he for you even though sometimes you ignore him? Yeah. Is he for you even though sometimes we are unfaithful? and put other things ahead of him in our life? Yes. The conclusion that the apostle Paul wants all the church in Rome and all of us to know is this one basic truth. God is for you. Take it to the bank, write it down, don't ever doubt again, God is for you. And he says, because God is for you, guess what? Who can be against you? And if God is for you, if God is on your side, if God is all about you and he's for you, there's nothing that should come into our life that should rob us of that security that God is for us. There's nothing that should enter into our lives that robs us of the notion that God is not for us. There's nothing that can happen in our life that's going to change God's mindset about you. If you are in Christ, God is for you. And you need to know that this morning. And for some of you, you needed that this morning. For some of you, you need this passage because you come in defeated, beat up, and in despair. And you need to know that the creator of the universe who crafted you with his own hands and the womb of your mother is for you. The one who spoke the world into existence is for you. Specifically, for you. And how do we know that? By looking at all he's done for us. Sending his son showing us grace, forgiving us and never, never again gonna hold that against us so we can have eternal life with him even though we don't deserve that? It was so funny this last week, I was in South Padre Island and uh, I was not vacationing. I was doing a camp. And you're like, well, that's a vacation. Well, it's really not because compared to like our beaches here, it's like nasty, dirty and whatever. But I was on the beach. And so I'm doing this camp. And I'm talking one night about how, how the, the, the we need to put aside our fleshly tendencies. And one of those tendencies is that, hey, I, God, you owe me something, right? Like I deserve something. And there was one of my former students who now is a leader. Her name's Caleb. And she's also related to me by marriage now. And we were talking. and She said, she has two boys. She's raising them up. And she said, one of her boys, William, and the youngest one, is Sam, that they get into this notion of going, that's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. If you're a parent at any time, your kids ever say that. Okay. Some of you have been saved from that, but most of us not, right? That's not fair. And so Kayla, being much like I am, very, very type A, very, uh, you know, black and white, here's truth, pulls her boys together and has taught them over and over again, listen, we don't want fair. Because if we got what was fair we would all go to hell. Would you all agree with that? Yeah. If we got all this story, go to hell, right? And so she said one day her, they were outside, her and her neighbor, her neighbor had just lost her husband and two kids, and there was one kid with her that, that survived the crash, and so they were over there playing, and they were talking. She's like, she's not a believer, so I was witnessing to her. We're sitting down there, and my two boys and her one kid was all playing together, and the youngest boy uh, was tripped by the oldest boy. So William trips Sam, and Sam falls down, and, and William looks at Sam and goes, you deserve that. And then Kayla said, I called William over and said, William? And she said, the mother's sitting right beside me, William, what do we deserve? And he goes, I know, I know, go to hell. And he turns around and walks away. (laughs) And so so the other mom's like, what in the world? You know, she had to explain it, right? And so there's just this notion that that we need to realize we, we don't deserve the love of God, but we get it anyway. And I'm telling you, some of you have gone through some junk in your life. Some of you are going through some junk. Some of you are either about to enter into it or you've come out of it. And you need to know this one basic truth. God is for you. And if he is for you, who could ever be against you? And so this was a rally cry of Paul to the church in Rome. But then Paul moves away from our security that we have in Christ, that we are secure. And he kind of pauses And I love what he does. He reminds us, secondly, of two things that try to rob us of that security. There are two things that come into our lives that try to rob us of the security that God has forced. And here's the first one. He doesn't mention him by name, but we'll see it in the passage in a moment. The first one is Satan. Satan tries to rob us of this security all the time. Look with me in verse 33. Look what it says. Verse 33 and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised is also the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. In other words, he says, listen, there's one that tries to rob us of the security that we have in Christ. And the first one, it's Satan. Now, did you notice there, it says that somebody tries to bring charges against us. Well, who is the accuser of the brethren? Come on, who's the accuser of the brethren? Satan. You know what that means? That means at every opportunity he can, he wants to remind us of our failures. He wants to remind us of our flaws. He wants to remind us how we're unfaithful. At every point, in every turn, Satan wants to bring charges against God's people. He wants to remind us of what we've done and who we are. And there's no way God would love you. There's no way God would care for you. There's no way God is for you because look what all you have done. And what Paul wants to remind us is this, is that no one can bring charges against us. Why? Because it's God who justifies. And know what he said? Now, what does that mean? That means when you accepted Christ, God gave a verdict on your life. And you know what that verdict is? Not guilty. That's your verdict. And any charges that the enemy would ever bring against you are stand mute before a holy God. Because God says, listen, I've already reigned and ruled on Chris's life. I've already reigned and ruled on Cameron's life. I've already reigned and ruled on Jason's life. They are not Guilty. So, those who bring charges against you, don't let it rob you of the security that Christ is for us. But he also doesn't just try to bring charges against us, he tries to condemn us. I don't know about you, but this is where I've wrestled the most in my life. At times where I feel like when I'm really not living for the Lord, or there's some disobedience, or there's like a discipline in my life, him coming along and just that quiet whisper or that quiet nudging, like, you know what? There's no way you can be a child of God and think those things, do those things, act that way. There's just no way. There's no no way God's going to accept you and do His kingdom with what you've done or how you've said it or the way you've treated people. But I'm reminded what Romans 8.1 says, aren't you? Therefore there's now what? No condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. He says, listen, you're going to have this Satan is going to come and he's going to try to rob you of the security that God is with you. And he's going to do it by bringing charges against you going, you know, you're not good enough. Look what all you've done. But he's also going to try to condemn you. He's going to make you feel like that. Why would God want you or care about you? But Paul says, if Jesus is our advocate, if he's interceding on our behalf right now, who in the world has the authority to condemn us? See, it's a losing battle for Satan. The problem is too many of us have bought into his lies. Right, and so Paul stops here. God is for us, but I want you to know, there's some things that are going to come your way down the pike. They're going to try to rob you of this security. That God is for us, and one of them is Satan. Here's the second one, and where I want to spend some time, and it is circumstances. Look what he says here in verse 35. What, what shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword? He lists. Like seven things there, right? And he talks about these, like what's gonna separate us? What is what is could happen to us in our life that's actually gonna remove us from the love of God has for us. What is gonna happen? What's some things we go through that we look at and go, you know what? I'm just not sure that God is for me. And he lists a bunch. First of all, he lists tribulation. This word tribulation just means to be placed under pressure. It's a reference to outside difficulties. Question Any of you all ever been through tribulation? Have you ever had outside difficulties come press you down? Did you fight in that moment, go, okay, God, if you love me, why in the world am I going through this? And I'm trying to be faithful. But, man, I'm feeling pressed on every side. God, if you really care about me, why, why, why are you allowing this into my... Anybody ever felt that way? And see, that's one thing. Circumstances try to rob us of the security that God has forced. He says tribulation. Then he says Distress. That word distress just means the feeling of helplessness and hopelessness. Have you ever had anything happen in your life where you felt absolutely helpless and you could do nothing for it? Did that ever question you in the moment going, well, if this happened to me and I can't do anything to help, God, I mean, God, where are you? God, I've been reaching out. but I don't sense you anymore. Distress. Then he mentions persecution, which just basically means affliction suffered for the name of Christ. If you've ever taken a stand stand for Christ, you know what persecution looks like. You know there are people that will ridicule and rebuke you, make fun of you, ostracize you because of your faith in Christ. And I'm just going to tell you, if you feel that persecution, there's going to be moments going, okay, God, if I'm going to live for you, you need to protect me better. God, if I'm going to live for you, I want your protection. I want your provision better. And God, I don't feel your protection. I don't feel your provision. God, I'm not so sure that I think you are for me. We've all done that. We've all been there. And then he mentions famine. Famine is just a season of going without. And I believe what Paul's talking about, while it is a physical thing, I believe he's alluding to his spiritual notion. This is a real quick question. Have you ever, if you've been a believer, have you ever gone through a season in your life when you've been praying like you've never prayed before, but you were not hearing God speak to you? Through his word or just through people, you're just not feeling and sensing God's voice in your life. You ever wrestle with that? Well, God, if I wrestle with that, how, how could you be for me when I don't even know what you want me to do? I've been praying. I've been laying out. I've been asking, God. I've been asking and asking and asking. But God, at the end of the day, I don't, I, I don't hear anything from you. I don't read anything in Scripture. It takes me there. I don't have anybody in my life. I don't feel like you're answering my prayer. God, I'm not sure you are for me. And then he mentions nakedness. Nakedness is just a reference to the lack of necessities, not having the basic things you need. Can that lead somebody down a path of going, I'm not sure God is for me? Sure it can. And then he mentions danger. The anticipation of mistreatment is what danger is. The anticipation that I'm going to be mistreated. I mean, there's something about all of us that would say, okay, if I'm going to be all in for Christ, if I'm going to risk it all, I mean, I need to feel the protection and the provision of God like never before. And if I don't feel, I'm like, okay, am I out of line here? God, why, why, why are you not stepping in for me? God, you say you're for me. I don't feel it. And then the last one he mentions is the sword. The sword is a reference to death. Now about you, but probably most of you in this room have experienced a death of someone you love or care about in your life that's been close to you. We've all experienced it. And I'm just telling you, if there's ever any circumstance that can make us feel like I'm not so sure God is for me, it's in the middle of death. They were too young, God. That shouldn't have happened. God, if I could only have more time with them. God, I losing my mama or my daddy. I mean, I can't imagine that, Lord. I mean, I mean, just it goes through this litany of feelings and emotions when death comes into our life, when someone we care about and love have died. And what Paul's saying is, listen, I want you to know something. That yes, God is for us, but there are some things that are gonna to try to come in your life that's gonna to try to rob you of that security. They're gonna to try to take you away thinking maybe God's not for us. One of them is Satan. We know that. He's going to bring charges against you. He's going to try to make you feel condemned. But let me tell you the greatest thing that's going to come against you, circumstances. And you're going to feel like with all that's happened, with all that maybe the nakedness, the famine, the danger, the persecution, all the tribulation, all that can happen to you, you can literally, if you're not careful, walk away and go, on, I'm not sure God is for me. Now, I would be foolish to stand on the stage and not acknowledge that some of you have felt that very thing. You have. You've gone through some stuff. You've experienced stuff. Stuff has happened. And you've not sensed God. You've not felt God. You know, one of the greatest feelings in the world, and I don't know how to describe it other than just say it, is that those, sometimes you go through those deep, dark tunnels, and, and you go, okay, and you cry out to Abba, Father, Daddy, which we were talked about a couple weeks ago, and you feel like you just got a humongous hug from your Heavenly Father. You didn't know where it came from, but you know that you're okay and you're taken care of. But some of us sometimes don't feel that. Can I just ask you a question? If you can't hear Him, if you can't sense him, if you don't experience him, does that mean he's not for you? Does that mean he's not for you? No. No, No. we live in a world, if I can't hear it, I can't see it, I can't experience it, it must be wrong. And that's not, I mean, you look through scripture, was there times that God was silent in the lives of people? Sure. Was there a purpose behind that? Absolutely. Just because you don't feel him, sense him, or experience him when you're going through difficult times doesn't mean that God is for, not for you. The truth of the matter is, if God is for us, and he is, those of us that are in Christ, if he is for us, that's our security. And that's why Paul ends, the last thing he ends with, is this great moment. Look with me in verse 37 through 39. Look what he says here at the end. He answers this question, who shall separate us from the love of God? He says, shall all these things, and he says, no. In all things, we are what? Lord. We are what? Lord. More than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, that word sure means I am certain. There is absolutely no doubt in my heart, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be separated from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's what he says. You need to know, yes, God is for us. Yes, there's some things that are gonna try to rob us of that security, but at the end of the day, you need to know that our victory is in Jesus. That we have victory in Jesus. He says, you know, he said, what shall separate us from the love of God? Verse 35, shall tribulation, distress, famine, nakedness. And he answers it in verse 37. He says, no. And that's not like a no. I mean, that's an emphatic no. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Absolutely, positively nothing. There's no accusation. There's no condemnation. There is no circumstance that can rob us of the security that God is For us. And Paul goes on and says, not only that's true, but you're more than conquerors. Now I don't know about you, but when I'm going through that stuff, I don't feel like a victor, do you? When I'm going through hell on earth, I don't feel like I'm a warrior and a champion in that moment. Do you? But he says, Listen, I want you to know that you are more than conquerors. That phrase more than conquerors should be can be translated. You are supremely victorious. That's what it means. Now, I love sports. And we, I like to play softball. And you know what I really enjoy in softball when we win? I love winning by the run rule. I do. I've been beat a lot by the run rule, but we like winning by the run rule, don't we, John? You know why I like winning by the run rule? We didn't just beat you. We destroyed you. And I want you and everybody else to know it. I mean, it wasn't like a 22 to 21 game. We had one of those. It's like we won 20 to three. We just, we. in fact, we were winning so big one time, it was 22 to nothing. They stopped the game at the top of the 2nd year. like, okay, it's over with. It's, it's done. I mean, we didn't just beat you. We absolutely what? Destroyed you. That's the image you're here. You're not just a victor. You are more than a conqueror. You are supremely victorious. All these things that try to rob you, the security, you're a victor over those things. Why? Because Christ Jesus is in you. Now here's what that means for us. That means that that when when circumstances come our way, when all these difficulties come our way, we can come through those stronger than we were before we went into those. Now I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I want to put a thought in your head for a moment. When difficulties, storms of life, tribulation come your way, have you ever thought this, that the only way God can get me where he wants me spiritually is by allowing me to go through this? We don't typically think that way because guess what? We don't want to go through it. We want to do what? Go around it. God, take it away. And I'll be honest, thats a lot of times I pray that. Like when I knew my dad had dementia and that my dad, the path he was going away, I prayed and prayed, God, just take it away. God, just take it away. But I'm going to tell you, the things that I learned, the way that I grew spiritually, the relationship with my dad and my mom and my family through that, I came out stronger after, after my dad passed away. I came out stronger than I was when I went into it. And I'm just telling you, things in life, circumstances happen, but God allows those things to happen off. Could God stop them all? Sure he could. Why? He's God, right? He spoke the world to existence. He could do that, but he allows us to go through those things. So that we will come out stronger than when we went through those things. So I don't know if you know this or not today. You're not just a feeble winner. You're more than a conqueror. You're just not a little bit victorious. You are supremely victorious this morning because Christ Jesus is in you. And so what Paul says, there's absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Absolutely Nothing. There's nothing that we can go through that can rob us of the security of knowing that our eternity is secure and that the truth that he is for us is also secure. Now, this morning, I know there's some of you here today. You needed this. I needed this. Because Paul starts with this great declaration, God is for us. And he ends with this great declaration, you're more than conquerors. But most of us, all of us, we're still living somewhere in between, aren't we? We know there's things that try to rob us of that security. There's some things that happen in life that want to rob us. that, like, I'm not so sure God is for us. And I'm just telling you, some of you have been listening to the devil. Some of you have been listening to the charges he's been bringing against you. And it's causing you to walk away from your faith. It's causing you to struggle in your faith. It's bringing challenges into your life. Some of you are listening to the words of condemnation. He's trying to feed you. You're like, you, I'm not worthy. I don't, God shouldn't accept me. I am pitiful. I am pathetic. No, no, no. Listen. I'm not a sinner. I'm a sinner that's been saved by grace. I'm a saint now. Did you know that? I no longer am I a sin- I mean, I struggle with sin. I wrestle with sin, but we are children of the Most High God. And some of us have bought the lie that the enemy's trying to feed us that he, that, that of condemnation. But most of us have let circumstances jade our thinking to think that maybe God is not for me. Do you believe this word is true? No, no. Seriously, do you believe this word is true? Do you believe this is the word, the breath, and the very voice of God to humanity? And if it's true, shouldn't we start living it? See, if you are more than conquerors and God is for us, some of us need to drop down some of the things. We need to lay down and kill some of the things that are holding us back, and we need to start living a victorious life for Christ. We need to stop, quit listening to the charges of the condemnation and look into the circumstances and let them rob us of the notion that God is for us. And we need to lay those things down and go, God, no matter what comes my way, no matter what I experience, no matter what I go through, my one anthem will be this, God, you are for me. And if you are for me, nothing will come against me. And some of you need to declare that this morning. Some of you here today, maybe you've never trusted Christ your Savior. Can I tell you something? God is for you too. You know, I know he's for you because he sent his only son to die for you. He didn't write you off, discount you, think, you know what, you were not worth it. He sent the best he had for you. And all he asked in return is that you would receive him. And maybe you need to make that decision this morning. So I'm going to ask you, wherever you find yourself, maybe you want to come to this altar and pray. Maybe you want to seek out Pat and Willie over here and Jason over here and Kelly over here and just say, would you pray with me? But I know some of you this morning need to know that God is for us. You're going through it. And you can't let your circumstances cause your thinking to be wrong this morning. You need to kill those thoughts and go, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what I feel, no matter what I think, here's truth. God is for me. And the church said, amen. amen. Let's pray. Everybody stand with me if you would. Everybody stand. Every head bowed near eyes closed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I love you. I thank you for this passage. Again, I think it's a truth that we all need to shout from the rooftops, that you're for us. You sent your only son. You gave us life. You've given us eternity with you. You put your Holy Spirit in us. You take our suffering for your name's sake and you work it for the good. God, there's so much we look at in scripture. How can we not conclude that you're for us? But God, that old enemy we have, that devil, he tries to shift our thinking. He tries to get us to buy into the charges and the condemnation that he wants to feed us. God, those circumstances of life try to rob us of the truth. You're for us. But God, I, I pray with everything in me that we, we hear the words of Paul to the church of Rome and to, our, to us as well. That not only are you for us, but we are more than conquerors. That we are supremely victorious over all the things that try to rob us of that security. That we can stand and we can declare and we can dig our heels in on the foundation that you are force. And if you're forced, force, there's nothing that can come against us. Nothing that can rob us of our joy. There's nothing that can rob us of our security. There's nothing that can rob us of our salvation. Our security, our salvation, our joy is found in you. And God, I pray we would stop talking about it and we would start living that truth out. So God, this morning as you move, if we bought into those lies of the devil, if we've given way to those circumstances, would we just lay those things down this morning and the quietness of this moment go, God, I know you're for me. I know I haven't felt it. I know I haven't acted like it. But this morning, I'm going to let truth trump feeling. And the truth is you are for me. And because you're for me, you've made me a conqueror. You've made me victorious. But there's nothing that's ever going to separate me from you. There's nothing that's ever gonna happen in my life that you're gonna look at me as if you don't want me anymore. God, there's neither height nor death nor angel nor demon. There's nothing that's ever gonna separate me from the love of you in Jesus Christ, my Lord. And God, I pray that that would be the anthem we would live by. But also, Lord, I pray that would be the motivation we would live by. That because you're for us, because nothing can separate us from you, that we would live our life as a vessel and a mouthpiece for you. God, just speak to us this morning. If someone doesn't know you as their Savior, would you remind them that you're for them too? That you sent your only Son? And if they will just acknowledge their sin and and, and believe and, and receive the gift of salvation through Jesus and say, I believe that he is the Son of God and down on the cross and, and ask for their sins to be forgiven, Lord, would you give them the strength to do that? Would they risk it all this morning to say yes to you? God, I'm not sure how you're working in our hearts, but I know that you're on the move. And I pray that we would be faithful to listen and to respond. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Now, if you need prayer, we've got people on both sides that would love to pray with you. If you just need to get alone with God and say, God, I've been listening to the enemy way too long. I've been letting my circumstances dictate how I feel way too long. Today, truth trumps feeling. If you need to come to the altar, it's here. If you need to accept Christ, I would love to meet with you. However you need to respond today, would you be faithful to respond the way the Lord is leading you as we continue to sing?